0: Welcome to the Partnernomics Show, where industry thought leaders discuss the hottest topics in partnerships, ecosystems, and innovation. The Partnernomics Show is brought to you by Iolite Solutions, a product incubator specific to Salesforce. Now, here's the host of the Partnernomics Show, Mark Brigman. Welcome back to another episode of the Partnernomics Show. Good to be with you again today. And we have Mr. Brian Hadaway with us again. Brian, how are things going, man?
1: Doing well, man. Mark, thanks for having me on again. It's always always a lot of fun to be here.
0: Absolutely. Well, I love you sharing the insights. And I think the topics that, that you work in are critical more so now than, than ever before. We're looking to put more of these SaaS solutions together. Um, so, man, let's just jump in. I'm ready to dig into these topics. Lots of stuff to, to get through today. So let's dive in. Let me start my, my little clock. And the first question for you is... Um, what are the drivers that enable scaling in different partnering programs?
1: So we, we've talked a lot about this as, as we've gone through and done some development work in the partnering space. And um, there's there's a lot of uh, discussion around how can you help the partnering professional, right? You know, the, the partnering professional, usually it's, it's one guy against many partners. And you need to be able to put together some things that let that partner be successful, right? Um, and, And so if they're spending all of their time creating reports or trying to put together partner business reviews or managing data behind the scenes, they're not actually doing anything to help the partner. They're doing a bunch of stuff that helps justify their own business and their own business actions. And so we wanted to think about what are the things that lets us scale? Because if if you really want to think about, if I've got one partner manager who's managing, you know, dozens or, you know, potentially hundreds of partners, um, depending on the nature of their partnering program, they need to be able to scale. And the only way you can do that is with automation. Um, And you have to be able to set a program up so that you, you can enable some automation. And so we thought about what are the the critical skills that are the critical functions that need to be automated because what does a partnering professional spend their time doing? Right. And and one of those, one of those key things is data collection. Um, you know, if you think about what are the metrics that a partner program runs on, right? It's you know number of opportunities, number of leads, number of uh, uh, or, or quantity or amount or dollar value of opportunities. You know, all all the stuff is out there that they're gathering statistics on all this stuff all the time, whatever it is that they need to do. And so, we want to be able to help them identify. How can they automate that data collection so that at at the tip of their fingers, they can see how many leads came in this day from this partner? Um, How many, you know, what's the dollar value of our pipeline with this partner? And can I get that information immediately and, and automatically? Uh, because otherwise, this is time that a partner partner manager has to just sit there run reports, and they have to collect data. Maybe they're running reports in multiple systems and cross referencing and checking. And anytime you're doing those kinds of things where you're wasting time gathering data or checking data or cross matching data, it's 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 a, a waste of time. So that's what we want to do is make sure that we can collect this data so that we can get it in the partner manager's hands immediately Um, and then the the key thing that we want to do is now we want to be able to communicate that data right and so we want to be able to automate the collection of that data and then be able to distribute it to a partner because you know that that data is really not that useful to a partner pro um, internally unless they're sharing it with their partner as well so that they're understanding it these are the metrics that we're gathering and i want to share that with partners so that they can see how they're being measured as well and so we want to make sure that again you know we can collect this data automatically distribute this data and we want to make sure that it can be set up in such a way that we can manage it in a in an all encompassing way
0: but well, it seems like you know, with partnerships, I think one of the critical things from the very beginning is to decide, is this going to be a managed partner or is it going to be an unmanaged or as we call self-managed partner? And if, if they are truly going to um, start to move towards that strategic side of the continuum, as we say, then they need to be a managed partner, which means we're going to set mutual goals together of what our activities are going to be. But- the only way there's any accountability is if you have buy-in on what that goal is, what that next finish line is, and, and the commitment that your partner is going to meet you there, and that you're going to do your side uh, of the equation to make sure that you enable your partner to get there as well. And so to your point, how can we use technology? How can we use uh, these these different integrations, use the data, use the reporting, and, and put the technology to work for us, not against us where we're out there, you know, cobbling this stuff together and spending days running reports, getting ready for, for all of our various meetings. Technology should make our lives easier and better. But I think a lot of this uh, mm-hmm. success starts with having this common goal of what that next finish line looks like for the partnership. And then as you say, communicate that. So the partner's if you know where you are, you can, you cannot deny action. Uh, said the other way, if you can deny where you are, you can deny having to act. And if, if we put the spotlight on, if we put the, if we turn the lights on, we're not in the dark. Our partners always know where they are. We know where we are.
1: That's, that's a great point. And you actually raised a, another topic in there too, about making sure that you have goals Um, Again, you know, to your point of of a managed partnership, um, you want to be able to be in communication with that partner and you want to be setting goals. Uh, But again, you know, thinking about even those kinds of functions where you're setting goals for your partner, but if you've got hundreds of partners, that means that you're setting hundreds of goals. And you're managing or updating the data or updating the progress against those goals continuously. And again, this can be a huge drain of resources on a partner professional because they're spending time measuring their partners, not actually working with their partners. And so uh, to that end, you know, we, we looked at other automation factors of being able to put automation into goals, right? How can I manage the goals Put goals out there that are meaningful, repeatable, um, and set up set up so that they can be automatically measured. So again, we're trying to be able to get the the power of working with a partner back in the partner pro's hands, rather than spending all of their time as a data collection secretary, because um, that's not something that is adding value to that partner benefit. So. In
0: talking about those goals and kind of those setting those reoccurring goals, so it's as much as kind of set it and forget it, if you will, as possible to allow partnering professionals to to be able to manage, effectively manage, you know, large, a large network of partners. What are some of those, uh, I guess, critical factors or just things to think about as far as activities, right? I mean, inside of your various data systems, or let's say inside of your CRM, it's not like everything can be captured. Sometimes you might need to go custom, right, um, to, to put goals together. How how do you kind of discern the custom versus the sort of the repeatable or where I have data inside of my system where I can use that as a reoccurring goal?
1: The, the only way that we can do that with any certainty um, and, and make it consistently repeatable is if we're dealing with consistently known functions, right? So, um, when we talk about uh, you know, measuring a partnership, you know, we, we talk about quantity of leads, quantity of opportunities, dollar value of opportunities, and, you know, various stages in pipeline and things like that. But those those are the critical things, right? Quantity lead, quantity opportunity, and dollar value. And if we can go through and automate the collection of that data so that um, and, and an example of an automated goal would be um, you know, for this quarter, we want to have inbound opportunity revenue of $10,000. And if we set that as a recurring goal, then what the, the things we can do is, first of all, we can measure the progress of that goal. So, uh, you know, understanding dollar value of opportunities, we can say, hey, we're 50% done with the quarter and we've achieved, uh, you know, $4,000 of opportunity value at during this time period. So we're slightly behind uh, because we're 50% done with the quarter, but only 40% attainment against that goal. But it's something that we can automatically collect that data and we can provide a status update of that, that particular metric instantly. Anytime a partner calls in or anytime somebody wants to look at a dashboard, we have that information available. And at the same time, at the end of the quarter, if we have it set up as a recurring goal, then we can say, okay, next quarter we also want ten thousand dollars of opportunity revenue from this partnership. And that is our goal. And that's just a recurring goal. Every quarter we continue to to set that up. And you know, that that type of automation lets you create an an environment where a partnering pro isn't managing goals they're actually looking at a dashboard and saying how can i help you achieve this right as opposed to spending the time collecting the data figuring out where we are it's all right there for them and so again we want to put this power in the partnering pros hands so that they have the ability to actually work their partnership not work on their data
0: awesome next question for you brian um man I love the world of of integrations and the idea of kind of building your own system or having the the abilities to do that but um I pass first question like what is an iPaaS solution I'm not technical right so what is an iPaaS solution and
1: then
0: kind of part B to that question what are the pros and cons to an iPaaS solution
1: great question and yeah, unfortunately, you're putting me into a technical thing here. So unfortunately, this ends up being sort of a geeky answer. So uh, my apologies in advance, but uh, I'll, I'll try to do this at a, at a very high level. So IPaaS uh, stands for Integration Platform as a Service. And basically what that means is, to boil it down, is it means we're putting a third-party software in between two, two uh, technical components to perform an integration. So if I want to have my CRM talk to my PRM, um, those systems are essentially apart from each other. And so in order to be able to connect them, I connect them with an API. And I can do that in one of two ways. I can write code in one system or the other system that directly connects. (laughs) And that would be considered a direct API or direct connection. Um, the other solution to this, and this is where people have tried to um, create kind of a plug and play solution that says, well, here, we'll put a third party tool in the middle of all of this and we'll create some kind of a point and click, drag and drop, whatever uh, type of uh, infrastructure to be able to say, we can create an API between these two endpoint platforms but we can create that API using point and click, but we have to learn a third party tool in order to do that. <laughs> and so what, what that ends up is, is that um, and and so kind of that's that's what an iPaaS solution is. Is basically it's adding a third component to your tech stack to enable connectivity. And so. Uh, we talk about this in in a couple of different ways of you know what's what's good and what's bad about that, and I'll I'll, I'll throw in I'll I'll try to be as objective as I can here on this. Um, there, putting an iPaaS solution in place, it allows for simplicity. So from the standpoint of being able to point and click an API, um, those tools are fairly complex. They're able to read the endpoint systems and they can create a a connectivity solution. And it's something that allows um, a a developer to go in and kind of point and click or create a workflow that maps the elements from one point to another. Uh, But typically what ends up happening is is that... uh, the 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 iPaaS solution is is usually managed by the IT professional, and the endpoint solutions are usually managed by business professionals. And so, when you get that middle point solution, you get a, a new piece of software managed by people who aren't part of the business. Um, they're usually the IT guys, and they're working in a language that nobody that's a third language or a third uh, set of instructions that neither side understands on the, on the end end point and so you end up with this uh, you've what you've done is you've actually added complexity to your solution and you've introduced another point of failure and a lot of times if something fails in that middleware layer It's really difficult for the folks on the ends to, first of all, understand, hey, there was a problem because I lost a message or I lost a transaction. Um, And so but if they figured out that they've lost a transaction, neither one of the people on these ends are capable of operating the middle tool. Uh, to be able to find it, fix it, and and resolve the problem. And so you get yourself into a situation where, you know, I, I tend to view IPass solutions as you've added complexity, you've added a, a functionality place where there can be failures, and it's not as easy as you would think to manage or maintain that failure location to get yourself back on track.
0: Awesome. Last question for you, and that is, um, what is prohibiting partnering professionals from building the tech stack that they want? Right, if I just wanna go grab some some Lincoln logs and put this thing together of what I think I need or would want for my partnering program, it's not that simple today. <laughs> I'm kinda of looking down the future to hopefully this promised land that, that will end up hitting within the next several years, but what's, what's prohibiting parting pros from being able to do that today? Well, you, you've just
1: hit on the nirvana of all uh, business professionals, right? They would, they would much rather deal with something that didn't have to, they didn't have to talk to their IT counterparts. I think that's probably the big, uh, the big thing is uh, that a lot of this deals in technology. And so they have to deal with IT. And so, um, there, there's a lot of discussion in the IT fields now about uh, what they call democratizing technology, right? To be able to make it so that it's simple enough that a business user can can put it together. Um, but I think that even, even still, if you're talking about just doing kind of, uh, you know, install it, drag it, and, and done, um, I still think that's a little bit naive in today's world because the, you have to acknowledge the fact that there is a ton of legacy software out there. And I think specifically in the partnering space, um, you know, partnering tends to be an add-on functionality on top of existing tech stack rather than its own tech stack uh, standalone. And, and rightly so, I think, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the functions that you're working with as a partner professional, um, you, you're actually layering onto existing business functions, you know, your CRM being the, the, the primary one, right? I mean, you're dealing with sales, you have to deal with the CRM um, as part of that sales function. So um, I think the, the, the key element, though, is making sure that uh, as you're looking at different tools that help you as a partnering professional. They need to be able to play nicely with the existing tech stack, and so and and that becomes kind of the critical function. Is you need to be able to bolt into the existing tech stack. You need to be able to make sure that that is seamless. That when you bolt into the existing tech stack, you don't disrupt the functions of what's already going on there, but you've augmented with the things that you need. And so it, it becomes a function of two things. So as a as a partnering professional, if you're trying to design your tech stack, first of all, you have to understand what are the capabilities that you want to offer as a partnering professional, right? What are the things that I need to have? You know, are you going to have deal registration? Are you going to have um, affiliate monitoring? on your website, are you going to have, uh, you know, a bunch of different capabilities for learning management? Are you going to have certification programs for your partners? Again, these are all decisions that you have to make as far as what are the things that you need and what are the things you don't need? And so there's always that uh, defining the capabilities, right? You have a checklist of these are the things that I want to be able to offer. And then once you've got that checklist, then you need to be able to, to figure out How can I plug this into the existing infrastructure? And you've got to be able to have a lot of things to do that. You've got to have the right APIs. You've got to have the right data model, uh, because as you select all of these tools, they all have to talk to each other. It's not just that they can technically send messages, but that they're also compatible uh, when they're talking to each other. And so you have to have both of these things set up so that you can connect And so that you can actually have a meaningful conversation between the systems. Um, And so really what you're looking for is, you know, creating this notion of, you know, we were just talking about iPaaS for integration platform as a service. Really what you need to be able to have is business functions as a service. Right. Because you need to be able to plug those business functions in as you need them to be able to assemble them as as what you want to offer as part of your partnering program.
0: Brad, I know you've done a lot of writing and thought leadership on this recently, talking about uh, the importance of the data model and, for example, the difference between partners and partnerships and also looking at attribution and why the CRM out of the box wasn't built for partnering. So we kind of have to put it into a, a full Nelson or put it into an arm bar to try to make it work uh, for partnering. But uh, if somebody wants to dig in and kind of find some of your thought leadership that's out there, where can they where can they find your resources?
1: Find me on LinkedIn. Um, you know, we keep uh, we've published a lot of these articles on LinkedIn and um, there's a lot of stuff that we're putting out there as far as what what does a partnering program need to have. And and uh, as you mentioned, Mark, that, you know, you you want to have um, I'll, I'll kind of outline some of the architectural principles that, that we're working with. You know, number one is. You know, you want to have your CRM as the focal point. You want to use your CRM as the orchestration layer to be able to drive all of this because your partnering program is anchored from your CRM. Um, there's a lot of other functions that you might need um, that aren't part of the CRM, but you need to use the CRM as the orchestration point and to be able to pull all that data back. Because again, the, the key that you want to have is you want to have that reporting nexus where you have all of the data relevant to the partnership program is in your CRM because that's where your CRM is going to be managed or where your partnership program is going to be managed. And so the data to manage it needs to be in the CRM. So that's kind of first principle, first point is to make sure that your data is in your CRM. And you know the next point is make sure you've got the APIs that can communicate And then make sure you've got the data model that can also work with it. And, you know, as we talk about the the basic CRM model, as you pointed out, it doesn't handle partner versus partnership. Um, There's a many to one relationship there and it doesn't handle multiple attributions well. Um, And so you have to design multiple multiple attributions into your CRM. And those are critical functions to make sure that partnering works, that there are things that aren't part of the standard CRM and you need to make sure you design those in so that your partnering program works. And then finally, when you're doing your APIs to other third party tools, those other third party tools, you need to be able to make them work with that data model as well. So that when you're talking, you're talking apples to apples when you're making those communications.
0: Awesome. Brian, thanks for spending some time with us. Thanks for sharing the insights. And uh, man, I've already got some other topics for us to hit uh, on a future show. So thanks for, uh, thank you for your time.
1: Well, always, Mark, great to be here.
0: Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the Partnernomics Show. Don't forget to subscribe to get the newest episodes at thepartnernomicsshow.com. Special thanks to our sponsors, Iolite. To learn more about Iolite, visit iolitepro.com and Partnernomics, the science of partnering. To learn more about these suite of Partnernomics courses, coaching programs, and consulting services, visit partnernomics.com. See you on the next episode.